Hello, everyone, and welcome to Joe's Tango Podcast, where we have fun and meaningful conversations with all kinds of tango professionals. I'm your host, Joe Yang. Thanks for tuning in. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. Glad you're here, and definitely check out our previous episodes, as I'm sure you'll find plenty of inspiration as you seek to improve your tango. Many of you out there are working hard towards important life goals, and you may be wondering if you're on the right path or not. If that sounds like you, then this episode is for you because sometimes we don't find success on a predictable, predetermined path. Listen on to see what I mean. My guest today is an internationally renowned musician who has performed and recorded all over the globe. He is a bandoneon player, arranger, and composer based in New York City. At various tango festivals and milongas, he has performed with a number of groups, including Los Chantas Tango Quartet, Hector Del Curto's Eternal Tango Orchestra, the Astoria Tango Orchestra under the direction of Daniel Binelli, and many others. And with me now is David Hodges. David, thanks so much for taking the time to be on the podcast. It's great to be talking to you. Thanks for having me, Joe. Yeah, so Dave, I want to start a little bit with your musical background. Did you grow up as a musician? Um, well, yes and no. Um, I I started studying music in, I don't know, say junior high, um, playing band. I played trombone as a first uh, attempt at music. Um, I took up guitar in high school, but I was, um, my family kind of, I have older siblings and they all took piano lessons. And by the time I came along, my parents had kind of given up on <laughs> forcing <laughs> piano lessons. So I, I've always kind of regretted that I didn't learn mm -hmm. uh, piano formally. Um, I studied guitar uh, a fair amount. That was the instrument that I really took to in mm -hmm. terms of becoming really interested in music for mm -hmm. its own sake and, and uh, kind of learning more about theory and about harmony and things. It was just a really um, important um, part of my, you know, younger years. Mm -hmm. um, I did not go to conservatory or music school or anything like that. I consider myself mostly, you know, self-taught or, you know, taught informally, uh, studied music informally. Um, for better or worse, that's just, you know, <laughs> uh, but like a lot of, you know, that, just just to um you know distinguish from people who were studying formally at a young age went to conservatory and so forth mm -hmm. and and made it their life study um I, it's been more of a, a a personal thing for me i suppose mm -hmm. so did you study classical guitar or um no i i really started with an interest like in rock music you nice. know as a as a teenager i played in you know and and High school and college i played in some kind of like you know sort of underground bands uh and things i um i grew up in dallas texas um if that's relevant <laughs> but um and i uh, lived in austin for a while and I, I just got really interested into in music and live music i and i was a very motivated at that point i was very self-motivated because i wanted to learn how to play uh guitar like, like a lot of a lot of young young adults and and kids they're they're kind of like uh want to emulate uh, you know rock music and i i i took lessons with a guitar teacher who taught me a great deal about uh like jazz progressions and just sort of music theory that was mm. just like really one of the most helpful things 
that I did. And it was really kind of accidental that I fell into those lessons, but um, mm -hmm. it really opened my eyes to, you know, how to listen to music closely, how to like, um, I've always been pretty good at listening to something and transcribing it or picking out the notes, picking out the intervals and things like that. Um, so that's the sort of path that I developed some, I think, skill in rather than, you know, reading. Uh, I've never been a, just a really great uh, reader of music, yeah. mm -hmm. um, but having a kind of ear for it and a, uh, a sense of the internal structure of music that you know this sort of like um the patterns and and uh features of music that you can mm -hmm. pick out by listening nice nice yeah but lucky for us david uh, you found your way into tango so how did you first encounter tango music um well i was thinking about that because i knew we were doing this interview it's it's right. something that's come up <laughs> a lot and i've i've struggled to have a really extremely coherent answer to the question. It's obviously one I get asked a lot. Yeah. Um, but um, so I was, um, I had, I, I, I kind of fell into it, I'd like to say, like I, mm -hmm. I sort of, or entered it through the side door in a way, like I didn't have a, a history with tango or with with Argentina, I don't know, you know, my family's not from Argentina or something. Mm -hmm. um, like a lot of musicians have that kind of, uh, historical connection to it. Um, I, 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 like a lot of people, I, the first um, exposure, I believe was through Piazzolla. And, um, but I, and I, I became aware of him, I, I think, uh, in the early 90s. Um, I don't know if you, you remember that there was a, a Kronos Quartet album that Piazzolla collaborated on that was yeah, 91 or some the five tango sensations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably mm -hmm. the first time I I became kind of aware of the instrument, but that wasn't really. I mean, it was sort of oblique entrance into tango because it was kind of art music in a way, and it was mm -hmm. I, I was kind of I had an interest in you know a modern classical music, you know, sort of that mode of of music, and and got an entrant entree to it through that uh, a friend just uh, got the album and said hey you're gonna you're gonna like this it, it she said it it sounds like uh, it sounds like weimar republic like interwar <laughs> germany music which is kind of not that accurate but <laughs> but it kind of like piqued my interest and i got into mm -hmm. it and uh i i had already kind of gotten an interest in the accordion but it never sort mm -hmm. of made any attempt to learn about it or anything um and then i uh so i lived at the time in i was living in illinois uh in champaign illinois which mm. uh many people may know is a small town <laughs> uh outside of chicago but it, where there's a, a very big university yep. and um but not much else <laughs> um and it was a bit of a trek but i would spend a lot of time in chicago and in chicago or rather in in cicero was this uh this shop where they repaired old uh, instruments that they use for uh, like polkas. And uh, it's like, is run by like a uh, Czech and uh, uh, you know, sort of Eastern European uh, mm. luthiers. And they, anyway, they, they had a lot of instruments that they repair. And there was a kind of, I, I, 
for, for people who know the history of the bandoneon, they know it's mm -hmm. a German instrument that uh, is um, in the concertina family. And so anyway, what they specialized in this at this place was called Star Concertina was what they call the Chemnitzer Concertina, which is a mm. sort of close relative of the bandonian. Mm. And they also had a few bandonians there. And I was like looking around like, you know, I would go there and hang out and listen to the guys play and then, you know, look around. They're like, yeah, well, no, people don't really want these bandonians. They want to play, you know, uh, <laughs> they want to play their, their polkas and mazurkas and things like mm. it was a kind of community thing there. Um, but anyway, I, I bought my first instrument from them. It was a real beater. It, it didn't really work uh, mm. very well. Uh, but it was actually extremely antique. And I, to this day, I really regret that I sold it <laughs> uh. because it was just such a charming, I was just so kind of charmed by the, 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 the instrument, the kind of the mechanical properties. It just was so kind of different and unusual and, um, it combined. So I, I sort of took that on as a sort of challenge to try to learn how to play it because it was it sort of really appealed to me and at the same time I started learning more about uh, as I learned about Piazzolla I came to learn that there's this whole tradition of music that he came out of that is not very well known in the United States um, and as you I'm sure you, you know being in the tango community mm -hmm. it's a somewhat even now that it's more popular but um, certainly then it was not very well known like you could find, you know, Piazzolla, but, you know, what else could you find? There were some, you know, oddballs and oddball mm -hmm. CDs in the mm -hmm. the internet, like World Music Bin or something yeah. like that. Um, and uh, so, but it was a kind of interesting challenge and I got very, you know, just very intrigued by this tradition of of music that was not very well known. It seemed to have its own really unique uh, vocabulary. It's very unique um uh, uh, lineage is sort of stylistic traditions that are very different from other music, uh, really anywhere. Um, and just, uh, you know, it's, and then learning about, you know, like the golden, like, uh, you know, Troilo and learning mm -hmm. about Pugliese and learning about the, the Guardia, uh, uh, the Guardia, uh, Guardia Vieja, uh, the, the old guard, um, you know, kind of original tango that was just really not known at all here it, it was just infinitely fascinating to me i just got really immersed in, in nice. it nice. um but i would say like so i feel free to uh, yeah, uh direct me to something else but just like <laughs> like i know um you know if if you were involved in tango in the 90s uh you, you would know that it wasn't quite as um, developed in, in the, the United States as it is now. And yeah. uh, at the time, it was a kind of struggle to find even people who knew what it was, let alone to teach or to, uh, you know. Mm -hmm. Although, you know, cities had their communities and Chicago had its community. Champagne had its community mm -hmm. of dancers, you know. So I, I kind of started socializing with the dancers to try to kind of get into the... Uh, the mindset of the music mm -hmm. and um at the same time trying to learn as much as i could about the music mm -hmm. um but at the time i had to be kind of self-taught because there weren't there weren't people around to teach yeah yeah so it's so great you stuck with the the bandoneon what was uh, 
What was the most difficult thing for you about learning the instrument? Um, well, I, I think many people are probably aware that it's a little bit of a quirky instrument. Um, and, <laughs> you know, PSOLA himself has said something like, you have to be sort of crazy to want to play it. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, like he, he kind of grew up with it. Uh, you know, it was kind of pushed on him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, he probably wouldn't have chose it, you know, just off the shelf. But mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, so one of the things that people uh, mention a lot is that there's no, the keyboard layout is rather uh, arbitrary. Um, it's really, so, you know, without, without going into too much detail, um, you have, um, you know, the left and right keyboards are sort of arrayed kind of chaotically. It's not completely chaotic, but, mm -hmm. um, and so you have to remember sort of like you learn to type on a typewriter or, mm -hmm. you know, keyboard, you learn just from memory where they are. But then when you change directions, when you go, when you're opening, it's one, it's, it's one set of keyboards. And when you're closing, it's a different set of keyboards. So, mm -hmm. so you're really having to memorize a lot of configurations, uh, and to a beginner, that can just seem overwhelming, I think. Yeah. Um, it, it, but there's a there's a kind of um, there's a there's a kind of kernel of rationality to it, which um, I mean, it goes back to the the first instrument I bought, which was a it was it was by uh, Ulig, which is like a sort of predecessor of of the bandonians made by uh, uh, Heinrich Bond mm -hmm. in Germany, uh, and it had fewer buttons it only had three rows of buttons mm. um and when you play those rows of buttons they're like a a, a harmonica where mm -hmm. you know on a harmonica if you blow into several notes you get like a chord yep. and if you it if you inhale you'll get what would be like the dominant chord of that so you get a e7 eight you know mm. so the the central keys in the bandonian are sort of arranged like like that sort of like three um three harmonicas uh stacked up um with some exceptions mm -hmm. but then they started adding all these other buttons around the, the edges so you could get to everything and then it became a mess so i mean <laughs> if the further the more the more you are towards the center the more it makes sense i would say nice um yeah you but, just so that's oh, sorry okay. no well i was going to say the mm -hmm. The keyboard is an impediment to learning, or it's a challenge for sure. And then managing the airflow um, is a challenge because it's different from what people are probably used to from other instruments. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah, you just reminded me about you know how the airflow. Um, when I was a kid, about the playing a harmonica, I had, I had my mom gave me one just for fun and. I didn't mm -hmm. realize you could draw air in, so I kept trying to play it by exhaling. <laughs> but then like the, the metal was a little bent in one area and I slid it across my mouth, ended up cutting the inside of my lip. Oh God. <laughs> so, <laughs> since then, can... yeah, so since oh. then I just had this, like I was just freaked out about playing the harmonica. So no more harmonica for you. <laughs> right. So. I could almost feel that on my lips when you yeah, say it's that. Like, oh, just, oh, yeah, it's like, yeah. <laughs> But um, but it's really the same mm -hmm. physical principle. Um, yeah. That's what I, uh, without getting into the mechanics of it, it's right. a, they're both free reed instruments that where you blow air over the reed and it makes a tone. Yeah, and uh, it's really the same principle. What was the first a tango song you attempted to try? 
Um, well, I, I, let me think. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I want to say maybe it was uh, uh, Minoci Triste, or it was, mm. I had like a, a collection of music that was written for guitar um, mm. that I just sort of took apart and and tried to rearrange for bandoneons. So that's one of those like uh, kind of like old style, um, you know, mm. guitar and voice songs, you know. Um, but so, but uh, yeah, I can't say for sure that was the first one, but that was one of the first ones. Mm. Uh, I, I sort of like sought out trying to find as much music as I could. Mm -hmm. which was not that easy and the music you could find was really not it didn't match what was in the recordings at all you know mm -hmm. it was really very um yeah it was sort of like uh simplified or um you know kind of, the sort of like um lead sheet piano thing that no one would play mm -hmm. as written <laughs> Right. <laughs> so something I discovered early on was that, you know, you mm -hmm. have to really listen when you listen to these records, there's a lot going on there. That's not, it wasn't in the music I was looking at. Mm. It, it, there was some, there was some kind of magic going on in, in those recordings that went beyond the written music, at least that I was able to find. And I think it, it's really, it goes beyond any written music in a way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's the the one thing I, I I know some people who have transitioned from classical to tango, and having to make that adjustment into, well, not all of the notes that you hear are actually on a page. It's there's like you said, there's this life uh, that uh, in the in the music that you get to kind of create yourself as a as a musician. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. I be, I think that's often. Uh, I mean, you talked about the. Um, the difficulties of learning bandoneon but I, mm -hmm. one of the things i've encountered i've played with a lot of classical musicians who mm -hmm. wanted to play tango um and that's often a um an obstacle in a way is like going beyond the written note um which i i think is kind of essential to learning the style of the music but and of course many you know many many classical musicians have learned to do it very well. I mean, it's mm -hmm. not like it's not easy, but I, I think it, it sort of goes against the the training, the, the kind of conservatory training that, that mm -hmm. one learns um, in terms of your relation to the written note. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, 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 it's organized. Like you don't go into a tango orchestra and just play whatever. <laughs> right. yeah, you know it's 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 a very um it's an organized um aesthetic that that is incorporated into it but you know it's not just free for all yeah <laughs> luckily nice. yeah yeah so now you're located in new york city right yes yeah when uh, so uh how did you make the journey to new york was it because of music and because of tango well not exactly although um my wife and i had been wanting to move to the new york area for a long time um we were both there in illinois for graduate school mm. and uh it was not really the place we wanted to be forever mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> nothing nothing not to knock the 
in the mm-hmm. town. But um, we uh, so we first moved to Oregon uh, to to another university town, Eugene, Oregon. Uh, mm-hmm. We lived there for a year, and I so so in in Illinois, I had I had started a a group, and I had been doing playing tango and performing there, uh, and also like you know trying to catch whatever I could in terms of like people come through Chicago or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was kind of like we were doing it on our own. We're sort of like, like I was the one who <laughs> I, I sort of put myself over as the expert on tango because I was like, you know, <laughs> re- two, reading two books ahead of the other people. But it was like not, you know, like I was still, you know, very much an amateur in it. And that was a source of frustration was not being able to, be, you know, learn from the practitioners and it was the same deal in Oregon and you know I started a group out there and we had a lot of fun we played a lot of gigs and things and it was mm-hmm. people were very receptive to it and we played you know festivals and things and it was like you know great learning experience learning by doing is really mm-hmm. you know uh, was the way I approached it um, and it worked really well in those places but moving to New York was when and that was in 2001 mm-hmm. um, but not the best year to move to New York right. City, probably. And this was actually just, you know, a few weeks after 9-11, mm-hmm. um, as it happened uh, that September. Um, but um, that was when things really took off for me in terms of learning and progressing. Um, because I had, I had, you know, laid a sort of groundwork for playing in terms of I performed a lot. I wasn't, a, I wasn't afraid of performing or getting on mm-hmm. stage or anything, you know, I was had confidence and stuff, but I needed some more, um, you know, kind of fundamentals and sort of uh, mm-hmm. grounding in, in the music. So I, I moved to New York then, and um, we moved. The, I mean, it, it kind of had to do with work and stuff too. It wasn't mm-hmm. just like, let's just relocate to New York. Um, but, um, and then I, I, I met up with a bunch of musicians. Um, first of Mainly, uh, there was a kind of little scene in the East Village at a place called uh, Della Pace, mm-hmm. uh, Cafe Della Pace, and um, uh, there's a, a guitarist I, I think was on your show, Adam Tully, who, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. who was one of the first people I I connected with here through a mutual friend, mm-hmm. and we like played, you know, we like got together, we would get together on you know weekends or something, and and play through a bunch of songs, and then head down to the East Village and go hang out and listen. Um, and uh occasionally we would sit in and play there too uh that was where uh, tito castro nice. and pancho navarro played mm-hmm. um every week i think um and there was a kind of uh you know rotating cast of various people who would come and go and there was you know like folkloric people who'd show up and different mm-hmm. people it was it was just like a fun way to hang out and meet people and i i got introduced to some guys who were trying to start a tango band um looking for uh, a bandoneon player. Mm-hmm. Um, and they wound up being people who I still play with regularly today. Uh, it's, it's been like now just about a 20 year collaboration. Uh, that that would be the pianist, the Argentine uh, pianist, uh, Emilio, Emilio Teobal mm-hmm. and uh, the violinist Sergio Reyes mm-hmm. and uh, who were on the scene a little, they weren't really playing tango much, I think just, you know a little bit like duos or something but we put together a band and like just put together repertoire 
the thing about playing like playing milongas and things is you have to have a good set of repertoire you have to have you know 20 30 songs and you're right about like you know and um that's the biggest kind of you know initial obstacle is like just having danceable material that's gonna mm. last for the night but we we both i already had a lot of music you know that but, but and then i really got very interested in arranging so i was doing a lot of arranging of music myself and we would all do different arrangements and we played with several different singers and we got a lot of you know great gigs and things mm -hmm. but, but that's also where i um started meeting you know lots some of the other musicians on the new york tango scene at the time mm -hmm. that it was just an environment with so much talent and um creativity and energy it was just um i, I don't know if you were did you ever live in New York? Yes, actually, I uh, I went to I worked and I went to grad school there. I was at NYU. My first week of grad school was nine eleven, so that. Oh, was, okay, uh, all right. <laughs> so we were kind of in time. the same time. Yeah, frame. I was wondering yeah. if we may have crossed paths inadvertently. I remember the. I first was going to wonder if we met before. I, you know, I, I imagine we probably have then. Yeah, um, I was so new to tango then. Uh, I started uh -huh. in two thousand, dancing in two thousand, and everything yeah. was new. I remember seeing Tito Castro for the first time, yeah. and that's when I first realized, like, learned what a bandoneon was when I saw him playing it. <laughs> I'm like, what's yeah. that? It's 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 not. It's like, and they said, whatever you do, don't call it a, um, don't call it an accordion. <laughs> <It's not laughs> don't, <what it> <laughs> yeah, don't get me started on that. I yeah. can tell so many stories of, yeah. of that, yeah. including people saying, "What you know? When did you start accordion? What kind of accordion is that?" What, yeah. you know. Um, but uh, mm -hmm. yes, that's a a chronic problem. Although you find in New York, you know, suddenly people actually know what a bandoneon. More people know what it is, <laughs> at least. Um, mm -hmm. But even at the time, like at the time, there were only a handful of people playing, and mm -hmm. even still today, there's really not that many people in New York playing it's it's still a kind of marginal thing mm -hmm. um but I yeah so I got to I started taking lessons with Tito mm -hmm. and just kind of like watching him all the time just uh, you know trying to pick up stuff from him too you know he just seemed he was like a great model mm -hmm. of the sort of Milonguero um musician like he like he knew everything by heart mm -hmm. uh he knew how to fit with any other musician and it was all just kind of like an encyclopedia of yeah of of the language of tango and that's something that you know worked with me because i'm like i said i'm not a great uh, music reader and i tend to play if i can i try to play everything from memory um mm -hmm. if you see me playing i usually don't have my folder open <laughs> okay. you know unless i have to wow um you know just because i i really prefer to play that way and i prefer mm -hmm. to internalize the music and uh you know i think tito kind of fits although he's a good reader as well mm -hmm. um and he's played in you know great orchestras and things so mm -hmm. um and so i was learning from him and then i maybe a couple of years later i uh connected with hector del Couto, mm -hmm. who's another great bandoneon player who's lived in new york a long time Mm -hmm. And he was kind of, I, you know, I, I went to some of the shows and things and I, and I, I talked to him, I said, you know, I, I'm interested in learning, getting help with my fundamentals, um, mm -hmm. uh, my tech technique. And, you know, I've been playing a while. I play gigs and stuff. I'm not a beginner, but I need some help with, especially like variations, if you know, in music, like the kind of 
very fast thing at yeah. the end of the song that goes crazy you know it's like stuff like that was really uh you know i, I just needed some some help with it and he was like uh, i can help you and then mm -hmm. I, I i met with him once with my instrument and we just talked and everything and he said oh yeah so let's do set it let's do some lessons and by the way i'm i'm trying to start a tango orchestra and so i wonder if you want to you know try playing in the orchestra and i was like <laughs> yeah you know got, uh, well yes <laughs> so yeah like so i started playing with his um he created an orchestra called the eternal tango orchestra mm -hmm. that played for m many years and i i learned so much with that group it was just like a um like a mentorship kind of nice um and it, the musicians there's you know so many of the great local musicians played with that group um you know the different string players uh the, i met the bass player i played with a lot pedro pedro gerardo um pablo asan uh mm. there were the pianists like um uh well uh gustavo casaneve has gone on to do really great things um mm. there's uh i i met and played with uh the you know very sadly uh departed Octavio Brunetti, who was uh, just an amazing pianist. And I, I learned so much from him, just uh, playing with him and talking with him. And he was just like, just the sort of intuitive master. Yeah. Um, so anyway, it was kind of like a learning by doing thing because we were mm -hmm. playing great gigs and, uh, you know, playing at Lincoln Center and playing, you know, at festivals and things. And it was just like, you know, I just feel like things just took off then it was it was very exciting yeah i was playing other oddball gigs like i, I got to play at the carnegie uh, like the wild recital hall at carnegie hall like at merkin hall and these kind of places that uh, it was just like a dream come true in a way mm -hmm. um and also just learning so much from these great uh, other musicians yeah yeah i like what you said about you know learning by doing i think you know mm -hmm. as a dancer you know how tango it's um, it's not patterned like salsa or ballroom. And then there is yeah. this, like you said, learn by doing and, uh, you know, there, how there isn't always a written path to, to expertise and to becoming good. And sometimes we kind of get locked into that mentality through school or through work and, uh, sure. yeah. And through, through tango music and through tango dancing, I think those are just feels in order to be good. You don't, you know, it's not like you get a degree in it. I mean, you just have to keep doing it. And then there are, like you said, these intuitive intuitive moments yeah so speaking of intuition uh you know when you when you play tango for dancers i mean that's that's quite different experience than playing mm -hmm. for a seated audience so uh what kind of i guess energy or connection or or, or uh what's i guess what's something you learned you know it, you know in relating to your own instrument by uh, being in an environment where dancers are also creating their own energy yeah well i th i think as, as I mentioned, I kind of connected with the dance community early on, mm -hmm. uh, which I felt like was kind of necessary, partly for practical reasons that oftentimes the places you're going to play are places or things organized by dancers. So mm -hmm. it's like, you know, like um, if you want to play tango music, you got to, you know, go talk to the, the Milanga, the people around mm -hmm. the Milangas. Um, but so, but um i in my mind the dances is really an important 
kind of inseparable part of the music. Um, it, the music grew up uh, connected to dance from the very beginning uh, as a social dance um, music form. Um, and I, I try to always keep um, that in mind when doing anything with with tango music, you know, arranging or doing any kind of anything original with the music. It's it's like you have to kind of be respectful of the if you're going to play for a dance audience, you have to be respectful of the idea that this music works in cooperation with with dancers. And there's a kind of um, there's a kind of creative energy that I, I get from the dance. I guess I should say I'm not a very good dancer, so <laughs> I, I've tried at various times. And you know, I to be honest, like the time investment has been yeah. the problem. Um, mm -hmm. You know, as you know, <laughs> that's like oh, yeah. a requirement. Um, <laughs> so, but I've always admired uh, the the. The kind of creativity that's built into tango in the way that you know like you said it's not like salsa or something where you've got to you're locked into this this beat and you're mm -hmm. you're kind of reeling through a set of you know moves or something like there's a kind of uh inherent um openness of it where mm -hmm. you can take as much time as you want before you move to the next thing and the idea of of the way the idea of balance plays such a role in, mm -hmm. in, in the dance where you're always kind of mindful of your center of balance and, and not kind of pushing and pulling uh, with, you know, with, with your body. Um, I feel like on a metaphorical level, it, it relates to music, but also I think, I, I know I like to watch dancers while I'm playing, mm -hmm. um, which partly because that's what's in front of me. <laughs> but, you know, I, I do feel like um, there is a kind of, there can be a kind of symbiotic uh, or sort of conversation that goes on there, which is really, it's really interesting, especially when it happens, like it feels like in certain moments, like you feel like you're making a, a strong connection with um, the the dancers and and feel like, there's a kind of communication going on other times you can tell it's not it's not clicking you know it's like <laughs> you know and and mm -hmm. different audiences have a different kind of vibe or energy to them and it's it's a weird thing but it's a mysterious thing but i i do feel like um there's i, I feel like musicians who play tango music should pay attention to what dancers are doing and and how they're reacting to the music. Mm -hmm. If you're not doing that, then you're kind of not doing your job in a way. It's like you're yeah. sort of um, missing half of the equation. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, that said, like, dancers are people and they have a lot of different opinions. And, um, you know, <laughs> you can't please everybody, right? <laughs> I'm not trying to necessarily please people, you know, it's like, um, you know, there's always gonna be people who don't like it, or, you know, some I think some dancers may at bottom just prefer to to uh put on you know the regular tracks that they're mm -hmm. familiar with mm -hmm. and uh, that's fine you know that's like it's it's what's uh you know what works uh, so so sometimes it's a, it's a tough sell to uh 
get the live music to work right but when it does work it's i, I think it's there's a kind of alchemy that goes on that yeah that is beyond what you would get from just recorded music mm-hmm. yeah absolutely i think that uh you know i love the old classical music that's recorded but then when there is a live band i mean for me as a dancer i I feel like, okay, this, they're responding to me, you know, it's Mm -hmm. not a, you know, it's not a recording and there is, it's like having another partner in in a sense from from a dancer's perspective. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So just kind of curiosity, David, what's your personal practice regimen like? (laughs) Well, (laughs) I could tell you what it should be. Um, (laughs) I mean, I feel like I've, uh, you know, you know, I, life is complicated, and I have mm-hmm. not been a, always able to devote the time to it that I would like to. But mm-hmm. I would, you know, and I think for anyone learning any instrument, you need to you need to set aside time, ideally every day, mm-hmm. um, to do some do something basic that's not playing a song, playing you know, rehearsing, but is doing something kind of fundamental scales, uh, you know, arpeggios, uh, just uh, something that's kind of working your, 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 the basic, um, you know, fundamental motor skills and and Mm -hmm. sort of mind, uh, mind connection with the instrument. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I, and when I was, uh, you know, earlier on, I would, I would practice for hours on end, you know, mm-hmm. uh, now I, you know, and someone, I want to say maybe it was, uh, Daniel Brunelli when I mm-hmm. met him the first time, like, uh, I'm not entirely, I think it was him, but anyway, <laughs> it doesn't matter for the story. Um, mm-hmm. like I, I said, you know, well, I'm, you know, I've got like, I've got a young child. I like, can't all i can't do all this practicing all the time like you know i'm worried that i can't mm-hmm. i can't uh do all the exercises and things that i need to and he was like make sure you you touch the instrument every day like just do something every day just mm-hmm. to stay connected to it and that's that's the main thing like you know if you if you have a um as long as you're maintaining uh, your connection to the music and to the instrument, then you're gonna you're gonna progress, and that's what I try to do. I try not to get stressed out if I'm not able to spend, you know, an hour every day or something. Mm-hmm. If I can spend 15 minutes, yeah, that's fine. Um, I try to. One thing that I I think is important is to have something to do that's not sort of goal oriented, like. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm a, uh, you know I'm I'm not a, a good follower of this advice, but because a lot of times it's like, especially if I have you know some difficult music to learn, I'm like, oh, I got to spend all this time studying this thing. But mm-hmm. I do think, in principle, you should spend some of your time doing something that's not about the next gig. It's not about um, mm-hmm. a goal of performing or learning or something. It's like something to just relax your your brain and your fingers and 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 maintain a good connection with the instrument Mm -hmm. like for me sometimes it i used to do like some bach uh studies you know Mm -hmm. which like two just some like two voice or three voice things that um 
are pretty simple, but you can kind of focus on making it smooth and, and nice mm. and and uh, it, it's a good it's a good thing to do. It's not tang something that's not tango in other words. Mm -hmm. um, that said, I don't always follow that advice these <laughs> days because I've got you know kids and work and stuff. But yeah, um, yeah maybe it's similar to to dance. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I think, I think you really touched upon something important there. Yeah. To, to spend some time doing something that isn't, you know, like you said, related to the next gig or the next, you know, work project. And I, um, yeah. And I, I hear you. I think I should take that advice more often too. I keep telling myself, <laughs> okay, I'm going to sit down tonight and just watch a movie or something. And I, I haven't done that in months. So. Yeah. Well, it's, it's everyone's problem. I, I mean, yeah. I, everyone has to if different, brain and different um mm -hmm. you know way of doing things uh, i don't want to be dogmatic but mm -hmm. i find for myself if i if i study something repetitively mm -hmm. over and over and over again at there's diminishing returns on it mm -hmm. uh, so i've often found if i set it aside for a day or two uh and let it just kind of like uh you know ferment a little bit <laughs> in my yeah. in my brain then i come back to it and suddenly it's not that hard um, and, uh, you know, for me, that's, that's something that works. Mm -hmm. Everyone is, is different, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Just a quick question. Like, like that strategy, have you tried it in, I guess, when you're learning the variation of a, of a song, mm -hmm. I would say like for Quejas de Bandoneon, which is like, you know, one of the killer ones there. Yeah, like, do, yeah. Do you find that? Yeah. You kind of grind at it for a while, then you put it aside. Then when you come back, you found that your brains kind of build the connections while you're away from it. And then it's easier to do i do i do find that um although if you let it sit too long then it's gone but right <laughs> but and that's one that's it's a it's a difficult one too like mm -hmm. that takes a lot of time in the woodshed really and mm -hmm. it takes maintenance like you need to to go back to it a mm -hmm. lot especially the like the second half of it yeah. um but um yeah I, I mean the thing is your fingers can just become it, it's all about sort of about muscle memory, mm -hmm. um, you know, and if you're having to think too much about it, then you're just going to tie your fingers up in knots. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and the thing about playing bandoneon is that, you know, it's a, fingering is, is, is the whole thing. Like, like you, you have to really master um, finger placement, um, the order of, of fingerings and things like that and you have to memorize it like you do you, there's not enough time to to read that off the page um mm -hmm. so it's it's about muscle memory and kind of like getting a really uh you know strong uh pattern in your brain mm -hmm. uh, and how you do that is you know it's probably different for each person but um i do think sometimes letting it sit for a little bit mm -hmm. does help it sink in a little bit yeah um, just kind of how just kind of connecting your early experiences as a as a when you're starting off with a guitar uh, playing the guitar um to just kind of connecting that to your experiences now uh were there lessons or were there other experiences specific experiences studying the guitar that yeah kind of came up again in, yeah well from my in, in my experience motivation is is a big factor and the mm -hmm. kind of reward like to my mind you have to really feel some sense of accomplishment once in a while in, in your journey or else it's going to become drudgery and mm -hmm. you're probably going to give up. 
And in my mind, like with guitar, like I felt like I, I picked up, picked it up pretty quickly and pretty intuitively and, and it just made a lot of sense to me. And then I could play things that sounded good. And, and that was like really rewarding. I was like, not, not just like spending hours practicing fingerings or something, but like being able to play something that sounds, mm-hmm. sounds really good. And I, I think, um, with tango music, my, my thinking in it or my approach to it all along has been like, you need, yes, you need to spend time doing the work to improve your abilities and to learn and to uh, progress, but you also need to have something that feels good to play. And that like, you know, kind of like gives you that sort of boost of, of, uh, you know, feeling of accomplishment and, and energy. And just like the, you know, kind of adrenaline you get when some, you know, you play something and it sounds, it sounds good, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, so I've always, I always tell people, and this may not be considered great teaching, but like, you know, have something like, have the things that you need to study, uh, the things that, you know, you need to work on, but then have something that, you know, a song, something that you really like that gives you that that kind of reward and satisfaction Mm -hmm. and work on that too. And um, I've always kind of tried to uh, make practicing uh, rewarding in a way that, you know, that you, like when you're starting at the very beginning, I think a lot of people drop off early on because they're like, you know, God, like, just learning the scale is killing me. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like, cause where's that button? It's like, you know, I'm going to spend forever trying to, um, so like, you know, learn a few bars of, a of a tango, you know, and mm. play those, you know, play that little phrase and, uh, um, that will kind of help bring up your confidence a little bit that, you know, you can actually make, uh, you can make good music out of this crazy instrument, if you, yeah. you know, and then that kind of opens to the door to further things. Um, yeah. So yeah, I guess I, that's that's been my approach, uh, for better or worse. Great. Uh, or one thing that I learned from yeah. various instruments. Great, great. Yeah. Well, David, I, I know there's a whole list of things we were trying to get through, but I think that uh, um, yeah, we definitely have some some great stuff. It's been really fun to hear about your experiences and your thought processes and your philosophy on 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 music and tango music, and I think the. There's a lot there our, our listeners will definitely appreciate. So, yeah, maybe another time. Hopefully we can have another discussion or a couple more things that I uh, would love to talk to you, talk with you about. So, um, David, where do we find out more about you online? Um, well, uh, I'm <laughs> lately I've not been uh, super active in social media. When I, but I am on, on Facebook where and there's a, my band that I play with. The group that I've been playing with for 20 years is called Los Chantas. Mm-hmm. Uh, tango, uh, tango group, uh, which is also on, on Facebook. Um, there's a website, uh, New York Tango Music.com, which um, is kind of a home base for some of these things. So it's it's rather out of date, but um, I in in theory that would be a location for information about me and and also the group, uh, the group that particular group and other things I'm doing. Um, I, I need a social media strategy, I think, because <laughs> I, you know, but in the last, you know, year I've been a little falling off the 
and I used to do email lists and so forth. Um, if you're in, if anyone's in the New York area, uh, that group Los Chantos will be playing at a number of things around town over the summer, including uh, we're doing some things in Dumbo uh, down by the the river uh, in Brooklyn. It's a really nice outdoor thing. I think the next one is August sixth. We may be doing some other outdoor things and, and some other milongas and things. So um, if you uh, just Google around, you, you should be able to find information. Okay, great. So I'll have your uh, website and also the Facebook. I'll have the links to those in our show notes so people will be able to, to look yeah. you up and okay. yeah, hopefully get in touch with you. Well, David, thank you so much again for taking the time uh, to speak to me. It's been a lot of fun. And sure. yeah, keep in touch. Yeah, likewise. Thank you very much for having me on your show. A pleasure talking to you. Likewise. And a huge thank you to all you listeners for tuning in. It really means a lot that you've made time to listen to this show. If you're enjoying the podcast, please take a second to give it a five-star rating and review on iTunes or whatever platform you're using. That really helps. Thanks for your support. All right. You've been listening to Joe's Tango Podcast. I'm Joe Yang, and I'll talk to you again soon.